This week's show is sponsored by Yub Nub Entertainment Services. Need a party to celebrate your final victory? Yub Nub Entertainment has you covered. Musical selections can be played on bespoke yep, instruments yep. constructed for the remains of your enemies. Bonfires yep, large yep. enough to incinerate the bodies of even the biggest yep, bad yep. evil guy. And our mystery beat stews are to die for. Ask about special bolo toys for the kids. Yep. We have offices throughout the rim. That's Yup yep, Nub yep. Entertainment Services. This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast. A podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. All right, welcome to the 492nd episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Tonight we discuss ending a campaign in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. Oh, my name is Chris. And I am Old Man Logan. Old Man Logan. No weird name. No no weird name. I'll drop one if you want one next time. Are we temperature checking? Should we temperature check? Temperature yeah, check? just temperature check. Yeah. It's on the thing. Hey, just check it out. It. So, so I'll go first with this temperature check. I was very sick. I've been very sick actually the the past uh, past week. Last week Tuesday, I was pretty worn down as it was, and it didn't get any better because I kept running myself ragged. And by the time Thursday ran around, I was just dead to the point where I didn't make it to work on Friday night. Oh yikes! And then we didn't play our game on Friday. It was very sad. On the bright side, after sleeping for like twenty four hours out of thirty six, I felt much much better. And I've been endeavoring to take better care of myself, and I'm still having a hard time sleeping during the day. Mm. It's been it's been tricky because I work overnights. So, yeah. the, but I'm I'm fine. I'm good tonight. Things are things are going okay. The, the recording, our earlier recording, yeah. went very well. So I'm I am up from that. I am I am up from the rest. I am up from all of that. I'm sitting here in pajama pants because you know we don't have any cameras. Uh, yeah, why not? Right, you are clearly no longer dead. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, mentally, I'm doing fine. Uh, I had a uh, thing. I'm old, right? So I had a thing with my uh-huh. knee for for like a week. <laughs> for just like a week, my knee was like clicking when I was walking and it wasn't like it would hurt if I walked too much on it. Um, and then it didn't. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't do anything extraordinarily different. I just cleared that condition. So <laughs> it's it's better. And so I don't know why. Clearly somebody didn't like, you know, kick the side of your knee. Like No, you know. no, no. It just I... <laughs> Because that'll take down the biggest guy. Yeah, no. At some point, I just was starting to walk around the house and was like, oh, this knee hurts. And then it would it was clicking and then every occasionally it was hurting and it was uncomfortable. I, you know, I live alone. So I was like, I got to go grocery shopping. Still got to clean this place, cook and everything. And then suddenly, like, it started getting better. So I don't know. It's the joys of being 50. It's a thing. <laughs> Jerry. Jerry. So this is the week that I teach class for a whole week. So I am on all day for eight hours straight, pretty much talking nonstop and then getting exhausted. So I'm a little worn down on top of that fucking cold. But <laughs> but to be honest, this is actually a good week. So the week flies by real quick. I've got a really good class of students and I'm, I'm actually fired up. Bob? To be fair, this is Buffalo. It's chilly. It's not fucking cold. Yes, fucking cold chilly. comes in another month that's, or two. That's February. Yes, it is chilly. <laughs> yeah. It, it is chilly. 39 and rainy Jan- today. January is yeah. cold. I don't know. It was 31 this morning when I left the house. Yeah, it was, it was not pleasant this morning when I left work. Yeah. But, as far as I go, uh, I would just like to, to say that uh, out there in the world, whoever has the voodoo doll of Bob and is trying to crank the head off, please stop. I would really like my neck to stop feeling like you're trying to twist my head off. Other than that, it's all good. 
On the bright side, we all had a nice pot roast dinner tonight. We did. Sure it was did. That very was tasty. That's yeah. a, that that's amazing. That's a, that's a plus one plus up. That was yum Delicious. I like I like up down for for the for the temperature check. That's a, that's an up. That's yeah, that's up, very up down. Up. There you go. All right, are we ready for are we ready for the workshop? We should do we a are. thing with the with the workshop. Press the button. Because Have you found it? Phil, yes, the button is right there. Workshop, workshop. We got to stick the landing. You got to get this campaign to end properly so everybody has a good time, including yourself. We're going to show you how to do it. We're here tonight in the workshop. And don't suck. Don't, don't suck. suck. I don't have any coffee for that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing to wet your whistle. I, nothing. He got oh. to the end of that and ran out of gas. I did. <laughs> oh. Hey, we all like a happy ending. Who doesn't, oh, right? Man. Okay, so that's what we're uh, talking right, about so the happy ending of campaigns. <laughs> it's about rhythm. It's, yes, it uh, is. pacing. <laughs> yeah, and and finishing. Yeah. Okay. Good, yeah, Chris. You want to okay. do the opening? Are we done? Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Are we done with the double entendres? Are you done? Are you done? For now, wait till we get to the end. The, oh, yeah. the surface entendres, <clears throat> any entendres. If you speak again, I will feed you to my children. Yeah. The ending of a campaign will affect. How the players in the gym have felt about the campaign overall. That's a pretty obvious statement, but it's true. It needs to be said. If it ends well, there will be good feelings, and often the story everyone created will be discussed by the group for years. Now, if it ends poorly, it can lead to dissatisfaction with gaming and, in the worst case, the dissolution of the game group. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, no. I don't know if I've ever had a game group break up for the end of a game. Usually, if they're going to break up, the end of the game is kind of the relief that, like, oh, good, now we don't have to be together anymore. This is why I don't have game groups. We don't almost have one. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that later. So tonight, we're going to do... Misdirected Mark, word scramble. You don't even need the button on the thing. So tonight, we're going to discuss good campaign endings and how to achieve them. But first, it's time for Definition Panda. Behold! You are in the presence of Definition Panda. Our main word for tonight is campaign, a word you're probably all familiar with, but here at the Misdirected Mark, we like to be very specific about what we mean. So we're going to use two definitions tonight. One from a little uh, book that I wrote and Bob named yeah, Odyssey. Isn't that the ham sandwich of books? Yes. I believe that was Project Ham Sandwich, if I remember correctly. Odyssey defines a campaign as a series of gaming sessions focused on a group of characters, which maintains a sense of continuity. Continuity being that key piece. Things that happened in the past are carried forward. Later, we built upon this definition uh, here on Misdirected Mark when we did the Arc of the Misdirected episode back in 241. That's like five years ago. Yeah, you didn't listen Long to time. it. If you listen to it. You're awesome. You're awesome. Thank you for yes. being here. <laughs> if you Let haven't listened to it. Listen, I want to know if you would listen to that original episode. Email us. MMP at misdirectedmark.com. Absolutely. Yes. Hit us up in the Slack. Something like that. Anyway, in the arc of the misdirected episode, we further defined a campaign as one or more story arcs played together, increasing scope and potential complexity. For our discussion tonight, we're going to expand upon those definitions to include that there is some sort of end goal to your campaign. This goal could have been the primary motivation for the whole campaign, or it could have been something that evolved during the course of play that notes that when this thing is achieved, we have reached the end of the story that we want to tell. And I got some thoughts about this when we get into a little bit. You got some thought? Have some thoughts right now. No, no, later, later, later. um, Later. This is me teasing it. All right. That's fine. Foreshadowing. Yes. Excellent literary tool. Anyway, Jerry. Well, the question comes up. Why do we care about a good campaign? Why is a good campaign ending important? Because a good finish isn't just the end of the adventure. You have to take off a number of other boxes or the game's going to feel unfulfilled. 
Players are going to have things they wanted to do, and sometimes they have questions they want answers. So you have to understand that it often takes planning and prep to pull off a good and satisfying campaign end. So what makes a good campaign ending, and how do we pull it off? We're going to start by looking at a few of the things you need to accomplish and have some suggestions on how to make them work. Now remember, these are in no particular order, and there will be quite a bit of overlap between them. Jerry, I'm just going to say, why don't you start us off by telling us about loose ends? Ah, loose ends. You want your loose ends to be tied up. Mostly. I always want my loose ends <laughs> to be tied up. It's true. I mean, come on. That was, you knew that was coming. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. Especially when you're going to finish. Doesn't mm-hmm. love a little bit of Shiabari. Go on. Hey, if your loose ends are tied properly, you'll have a good climax in Denouement. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> It's like my whole shtick. Um, so many, so many Trust me, entendres. listeners, we will get through this the episode. The entendres are strong tonight. <laughs> yes, they're always strong. I mean, we have an episode with finish and climax in it. Like, it's going to be a tough night for us to be adults here. So let's try. Let's try. Let's face it. Your players are going to want to complete the loose ends that were introduced during the game. So as the GM, you're going to have to keep track of them. This is going to be complicated, especially if the game's been going on for a while. No, it's not. Keep going. But I don't think it's that complicated. Just freaking have a document. Just write the stuff in there. That's good. Okay. If you've got a document, if you've been winging it too long, sometimes you don't have that stuff. That's why you write index cards while you're playing. Well, that's what we should be doing. (laughs) If you don't, it's best to ask the players occasionally about things that they think want to be resolved. Because there are times you miss something once or twice that players think is important that you don't. So with that in mind, you are going to end up with some unanswered questions for the players. And some loose ends that you have might not be important to the players Mm -hmm. and you might not have to wrap them up at all. Remember, the main plot for your adventure might not be the most important thing that the players are interested in. Knew it. Look, man, if you do that, you messed up. If it's not like tied into the things that the players care about, you screwed up. Come exactly. on. Be better at telling a story. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm the, we're, no, we're, no, that's all. That's, that's all good me. stuff. That's totally a me <laughs> it's thing. It's a valid complaint. That's a me thing. Yep. That's a me thing, not a real thing. Like, it maybe happens to you and then you just have to improvise. It's cool. Oh, no, I've, it. I've played in games where by the time the game gets to the end of the adventure, the players are just kind of riding out to kill the bad guy because he's pissed them off. But what they really, really want is, you know, to find Bugman's Lost Brewery. So that's what should make the main focus eventually. That's tying up a loose end by making it the main plot. I'm it's with you. Mm-hmm. I'm also I'm going to reference a episode we did a few episodes ago when we did Dungeon as a Story. And one of the comments I think I had, which we didn't talk about, was we had talked about the um, the A plot and the B plot of the dungeon. Right. The A plot being the one that gets you in the dungeon. And it being the more important plot than the B plot of the thing that's happening in the dungeon. I was like, yeah, but you can reverse those. Mm-hmm. You can. Like, you can have that's the A exactly plot it. literally be just an excuse to get in the door. It's true. And then the players are like, no, this B plot of, like, stopping this earth shattering thing is way more interesting than getting Fred that mushroom that he needs to live. Oh, we're still going to get Fred the mushroom, the- but it's not the most important thing anymore. The A plot is not necessarily the main plot. Yeah. It's just the A plot. Yeah. But to that point, I get both of your points. First, I know Chris, as a GM, prides himself on crafting a good main story. So if Chris doesn't deliver the main story as the main story, Chris feels like he's missed the mark. No, I I pride myself in making sure that the main story and the character stories all interact together so that they're one story. Like that's storytelling to me, right? Like that's what I'm aiming for. That's good GMing. But I was in a game where... The majority of the players were still kind of focused on the main plot. They also didn't have really enough backstories where by the time we were through the second story arc, my focus was I wanted to hunt down and wipe out one of the NPCs who tried to ally with us and then pissed us off. And that was my main focus. Sure. Yes, I wanted to stop the the arcane and their their big magical whatever, 
but I also wanted to hunt down Garrowin and kill her. And the GM just had her die off screen at one point to keep us on the main plot. So that's terrible. That's because terrible. Terrible. That's terrible because Chris's point is correct. The thing to do is knowing that you wanted it so bad is to fold that character back into the main plot yes. in a way that you can get what you want, which is I'm going to go kill this character for screwing us over. But also in doing so, pushes the main plot even further. Yeah, that NPC that you wanted to kill either becomes the the leader of the arcade by taking it over in the background and it gets heard about, or becomes like a high-end lieutenant that is there at the end of the campaign that you can defeat along with the main plot. And mm-hmm. which now, also, how much more of a satisfying story would yeah, that be? Which also that gives you some good. tidbit for how to finish off the, yeah. the sure. big bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this will go into a, in, into a little bit into next week's episode about just-in-time campaign design. Because that is the kind of thing with a little with doing mm-hmm. it just in time where you're just like, oh, suddenly Jerry's really interested in this NPC, which I was just going to throw away. Not anymore. No, no way. <laughs> Actually, you just I graduated think- to big NPC. Exactly. Actually, I think he intended to bring her in as his DM NPC in the party. Oh. Because she was supposed to be an ally, but she was <laughs> she was in some. Unfortunately, she was a female elf being run by a male GM. Ugh. We'll let you pick that where you want to take it. Yeah. Back about 10 years ago. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And once the GM realized that I was starting to like focus all of my energy on trying to find her, he just had a rumor come back that she got killed off. And then he had her sister enter the party. As an and then her sister enters of the party. My sister will avenge me. <laughs> Boo. That was more fun, though, because... When he brought her sister in after his, her sister was in the party for about two story arcs, he then had me also play her sister secretly in the game. So I was playing my character and the character that my character didn't like at the same time. That's kind of fun. That That's was more fun. That That's was a good move, but I still wanted to hunt Garrowin down and kill her. Where were anyway, we're yeah. we're we? But so what I'm saying is this is what this is what we said. Like I became less interested in the main plot mm-hmm. and the GM never tied up that loose end. He tied up that loose end, just not in any kind of satisfying way. That's yes. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, then diminishes Correct. what's happening. There's nothing worse than when you're unsatisfyingly tied. It's dangerous. <laughs> just take your hand out for a second, scratch your head. Put That's it less back dangerous. Oh, sad trombone. Aww. All right. Um, <laughs> so That's why it's there. I did have a comment about this. As you become aware that you are heading into the end of your campaign, it's a good time to like check in with players to make sure what loose ends are important and aren't important. Like some of them you will just know, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them you'll know because they've been talked about at the table, whatever. And then you'll have a couple that you've like written down. You're like, I don't know, does anybody even care about this? And just be like, Hey, you know, just as we're heading into like the finale of this campaign, like, what, what do you guys remember this thing? It probably got lost, but Jerry actually did say that earlier. Did we talk about the actual check-in? Like actually yeah, said, sitting it's and best talking? to ask your players occasionally about the things that need to be resolved. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. But you know, we like to reinforce things by telling yeah, them yeah, twice. Totally. I just yeah. I just wanted to make I just wanted to make it known that Jerry did, did mention you should mention it again. It's important. Yep. Well, we did go, get kind of sidetracked there, so I think yeah, it's good go, to go deeper it into it. Bring it back, Phil. I just like yeah. making sure that, that we yeah, recognize that Jerry did the thing. Yeah. So again, it is that it is that like inventory thing. If you have it, you should, you know, have some sort of inventory somewhere mm-hmm. from play. Is a good point, too. Like, is, does this matter anymore? Does yeah. anybody care? Otherwise, am I just wasting my time? You don't want to get to the end of the campaign having wrapped the whole thing and then somebody be like, hey, what about that, like, thing? Nobody like, wants that. Like, we never talked to, like, that happened and we never dealt with it ever again. And you're like, oh, if I had known, I would have just, I would have just gone and done that. Let's talk about subplots and relationships. Um, these are things that also, like loose ends, need to be resolved. 
and sometimes these tie in with loose ends, but they're often more important to your players. Like subplots are usually things that you kind of crafted for your players in the Ox game. This is the relationship between Tam and Keoli. Yeah. Right. That's a very specific thing that's being done between Beta and Alpharum. That's a very specific mm-hmm. thing. Gree doesn't have one. Dot, dot, dot. No, Gree has one. Green Polly. Polly. Green Polly. Yes. I mean, yes. Because at some point, Polly's going to try and kill us all. Plus, uh, Jerry's working on being able to communicate with Polly. So we'll find out what Polly's saying soon enough. Anyway, I'm, I'm fairly certain Gree is doing a good job of killing himself off all by himself. That's yeah, pretty accurate. Yeah, I don't know. This game, that isn't a game where people get killed off. But anyway, point of this is, right, subplots um, can also involve relationships that characters have created during the campaign. They all need to have some sort of resolution or at least some scene that acknowledges it before you close out the campaign. Uh, in either case, a good ending will find a way to incorporate these plots and relationships into the final few sessions. We'll talk about that at the end of this segment. They don't have to be completely concluded, but you also shouldn't leave them hanging. We will not finish Ox without knowing the deal with Ham and Keel, right? Like that, mm-hmm. the game could not end with that piece unresolved. It would be so sad. It would be very sad. It'd be very unfulfilling. I mean, and again, this goes to that concept of loops. This kind of relationship is an open loop. We created it and our minds, the storytellers, the story listeners in our minds are waiting for the conclusion the piece to come back that closes it up. When you don't close those things, they are mentally itchy. Oh, that was a really good story, but they never, like, they never finished this thing. Mm -hmm. They never resolved this thing. And that bugs people. You know it because you have stories where those things have happened and you are annoyed about them. The closer and more related it can be to the very end of the campaign, the final parts of the campaign, the more satisfying it is. But also there are ways to, like, say goodbye. We'll talk about it when we get towards the end. But yeah, there are places where you can land these things. So one other thing you can do to make an ending memorable is to seed hooks for future adventures or even a sequel. This can be something as simple as letting the players know that an enemy underling has escaped, or it can be something more complicated, like a mystery or a clue leading to the hint of a future adventure. However, this new adventure should probably be put forth in a way that doesn't need to be resolved immediately, if at all. You just want to point out that it exists and then let the players decide if it's something that they're going to jump on. I did this when I was running Metton. I had a long-running campaign called the Liberty Conspiracy. It ended with one of the players ascending the throne as the emperor after killing off the other emperor and basically everybody settling down, getting married and so on. And we ended the campaign with one of the player's children finding evidence that the Liberty were still around. And I just left it there. Like They found some evidence. That's how the game ended. They were still a threat. And a year and a half later, we picked up with all the players playing their characters' children 25 years later. But we set it up initially that the campaign was over. Like, the, the galaxy was safe. What was the next story going to be? And it got wrapped up. It's interesting. I don't actually do this um, because I don't often think I'm going to ever go back to a game again. I, I mean, we play through so many different games that it's so rare for us to go back and pick up a game. So most of the time when I do this, I just, like, it, it like put it to bed. It's done. The D&D campaign that you folks are playing in the Archmage's Legacy is the seventh campaign I've set in that setting. And the first three were all back to back to back campaigns where like we played and then we were done and then we stopped and then like, oh, I got an idea for another story. And then we played and then we put it down and like, oh, I got an idea for another story. And then mm-hmm. we played and then we were done. 
which mm-hmm. I think, I mean, is a perfectly valid way to, yeah. um, to, I mean, to be clear, I wasn't saying you're like, that wasn't valid. I was just oh, saying, no, I, don't, yeah, I, I, I mean, I all three of those that. are perfectly yeah. valid, right? Like build it on a cliffhanger, never use a cliffhanger or just find another story. Finding another happened. story. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I just am not one that plays the same game after I've played through it a bunch. I don't typically return to a game. I love when I was, when I was in college, we did that where at the end of every year when we, when we ended it for the summertime, We'd wrap up the superhero campaign, but I would drop another something into the storyline and we'd pick up the following semester with a new group of heroes from scratch that would get involved in whatever the plot was that we had the year before. So the campaign for the year was done, but next year we're going to start a new campaign in the same world with a new group of heroes trying to deal with things as the world changed over the summer. To your point, I love the concept, the idea of just like loving one game enough to play it over and over. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just never happened for me. Sure. I I love that idea that like the idea of like having like a warm and comfortable game and why I don't do it. I have no idea. It's never been in my nature to, oh, I'm just going to learn everything I can about this game. It's like, well, I'm just going to play this game. Good. Oh, look at this game. And, you know, (laughs) I'm off. The perils of being polygamers. Yes. Like I'm off to like a new like off to a new adventure means off to a new system. Like, I don't know. But I think it's neat. I think it's neat to have a uh, like a go to game. I'm just have never discovered my go to game. That was a very nice heartfelt confession. Sure. Like, I, just, I can't find the one. I like all of them. Yes. It's cool. Got some parallels. I'm, <laughs> on your way. I'm going to talk about resolving the main plot and I'm going to do a little wordsmithing for the RPG crowd. So the main plot is your primary conflict of your story. Without its resolution, the campaign doesn't really end at least not in what oh, most ends, people <laughs> yeah at least in what most people think of as a traditional ending. satisfying how yeah. about that uh, i just want to say traditional i've seen satisfying endings that were not what i expected sure it's fine that means without the primary conflict resolve it's likely the conclusion won't be satisfying to, to everyone involved this is one of those don't be too clever situations like there are pieces that you could just put in there that will make it end in a satisfying way but the ending should be the culmination of everything leading up to it now, the elements of the culmination will differ depending on the structure of your previous arcs. And uh, I'm going to talk about a few different kinds of arcs. Can I jump in before you say that? Sure. So I think it's really smart what you said about resolving the main plot, not being too clever. Uh-huh. You know, one, I'm generally against being too clever. But if you are going to do it, do it in the middle of the campaign where you can still recover shit after if it doesn't work. <laughs> but if you get too clever and, and clever and screw up the ending of the campaign, you can't get back out of it. You decided you're going to try to land the plane on two wheels instead of all its wheels. And if you miss, you just crash the plane. There's no coming back. I wanted to emphasize that point that this is a time not to be clever. And even even a little tropey doesn't hurt here because you're heading to the thing that like everybody's waiting for. You can be a little tropey. I'm going to explain the way that most stories end in satisfying ways that when mm-hmm. people are like, well, that was really good. And it felt so original and it wasn't original. Have at it. The structure. There are three that I can think of. There's the single conflict arc. Mm-hmm. There's the multiple conflict arcs. That's when you have a bunch of problems all happening at the same time that you have to like get it all sure, to, sure. to like come back together. And then there's the episodic scenario structure. And we'll talk about that. That is in some ways uh, very difficult to pull off because it's based on characters. But we'll talk about that in a second. So single conflict arc. They have beginning, middle, and ends. There's a primary conflict or several primary conflicts that are linked together. Mm-hmm. 
The secondary arcs, which are subplots and relationship arcs, are symptoms, microcosms, or reflections of the primary arc. They have to be they should be related in some way. Revolving them in a satisfying way requires the usage of elements introduced and utilized by the players in earlier sessions that helps tie it together. I'm I'm going really into the like like you thought about this. And yeah, this yeah. is how you're gonna mm-hmm. put it all together. And the final encounter or scene will help sum up the themes of the arc. And within this encounter and scene, I think you should have multiple possible outcomes based on the choices within the scene. I was thinking about it from a storytelling point of view earlier, which is you will not get the ending that you think is the most obvious ending, but one that makes sense. That's how storytelling works. That's how Pixar does it. That's how the Marvel and the MCU does it. If it's done well, like that's the stuff. But role-playing games, we don't do that because in role-playing games, it's collaborative. So you need to have a couple of ideas in your head for how this thing should end. And then depending on what the players do, you will synthesize a thing that happens. I've in the past had like little matrices. The big bad was or was not defeated. The doomsday thing is or is not stopped. When you get to the end, the combination of those two kind of informs what's going to happen. It's funny because those two are so binary of like, uh, yeah, success, failure. But there's like uh, we turn the doomsday machine off after it was on for like a minute. Like that's a different scenario than like the doomsday machine never started up. I don't know if Pathfinder still does this, but back in the day. Most of the Pathfinder Adventure Paths had a section in the last adventure of what if the players lose? Mm-hmm. What does the campaign world look like after this? Yeah. You know, what mm-hmm. happens if the Rune Lords come back? What happens if the children of the Tarask end up like running amok? What if a comet smashes into the Elven lands? And then what would you do as a campaign after? Which I think is nice to have because all of those are also like, that'd be really cool to play around <laughs> in. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something good to have in the back of your mind of what happens if the players fail and don't just happen to have, well, there's another hero team waiting to take their place either. That kind of undermines it. I also like the idea of like multiple different positive endings, depending on what happens. Like, yeah. And, and the cool thing is, is that we're playing a tabletop role-playing game. So we can synthesize that stuff at the table. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like as it happens, like you can make calls and shift things around. And like when people try things, you can give them some really hard choices in those moments to see what ending they really want. By that time, you can see it. You should be able to see like, oh, this thing is all boiled down through the choices to this moment, Mm -hmm. which is often what happens in storytelling. But we can simulate it in a tabletop role playing game like you have to parse it as the game master to do that. Now, let's talk about multiple conflict arcs. So this is the same as the single conflict arc, but fractaled up. You're going to need to think more about the overall themes because there's going to be multiple themes to this thing. There's not going to be just like one main one. And the multiple arcs that are going on at the same time and the characters where they intersect, you need to try to find the parts that mean the most to the players and to yourself as the game master. And then you resolve them all in the same way as in the single conflict arc. It's just like you're coming from more angles instead of just one one space. And you have to like work harder to synthesize all that stuff into an ending. And then there's the episodic scenario structure. This is when you don't have a campaign of linear events, but a bunch of one-off adventures. And it's still a campaign. It's still sure, sure. It's not necessarily an arc, though. It's not a a campaign arc or a story arc. There are character arcs that can be potentially in there, and that's what these are. These are character driven rather than story driven. You might not have themes from arcs to draw, but you will have themes and ideas to draw from the character and the relationship arcs and conflicts within those. Yeah, I think the best example of this one is uh, all good things. The finale for Next Generation. It ties directly back to the beginning of the series. It is focused primarily on Picard and his journey back and forth going, you know, through this whole thing of him older, of him first coming to the Enterprise, all of that stuff. But 
there's no arc that leads up to it. Like when you look at Deep Space Nine, the last 14 episodes of Deep Space Nine is one arc. Yeah. I think for that structure, All Good Things is a really neat way of uh, having tied the beginning of the uh, whole thing with Q at Farpoint, right? Back to the final episode. And then it ends in a way that's just like, and the ship continues on. Yep. Like we're leaving. We are leaving this story. But the story's not over. But the story's not over. Yeah. That is a way to do it, right? The story could end. It could be like that's when the person retires or leaves whatever adventuring company they're in or like the ship, like they, they retire from Starfleet, things like that. But these finales, they should focus more on the characters, on their internal conflicts, which is what you're talking about. That's what Picard's thing was and how they overcome them or deal with their their character flaws, those internal issues that they might have. And you could have more than one of these because if you have an ensemble cast, it's hard to do it all in one episode, right? In one session, in one gameplay thing, one gameplay loop. Uh, so you might need to do more than one, like Data's... Didn't Data's like thing end earlier in a different episode? So interestingly, when you get to season seven, there's a handful of episodes that start to tie things off. Like there's one that ends Rolaren's story. That one wraps up. There's that interesting one where the Enterprise evolves. But that's the thing. They're not all interconnected. They just like in season seven, they like kind of throw in some knowing that this is the yeah, last season. You don't need to interconnect them. They just need to have endings. Yeah, they just kind of throw in these episodes that are like, oh, we're closing a thing off. Mm-hmm. That's what you do with that episodic thing. I would do an example, but I don't have to because we said Star Trek. You can actually model that with your role playing game. Like, mm-hmm. It actually works pretty effectively. So another thing um, you can use to give an epic ending to your campaign is rewards. I love rewards. No, absolutely. Right. And, you know, this makes me think of the end of uh, A New Hope. So remember that, you know, this is the end of the adventure. So everything in effect is temporary. Um, You don't have to wait till that last session, right? There's nothing wrong with arranging to give the PC some cool gear and upgrades prior to the last encounter, right? We can definitely arm them up here, take this, that kind of thing. And in fact, you know, gaining these rewards can be part of resolving subplots or loose ends, like, you know, like resolving a thing with your uncle leads to getting this weapon that's going to help in the climactic battle. I hate getting the cool thing that I only get to use in like one adventure. Can I just have it for a little while? Like, I mean, you could, you could, depending on where you space these things that's out, a right? Me, that's a me thing, right? Well, but that, that's why planning is important that you want to, yeah. that, you know, it, you don't have to do it in the last scenario. You can do it like two stories out so the players get to use it for, you know, five or six weeks to get to actually experiment yeah, with see, it. Yeah, see, that's fun, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And getting it could be something interesting. Though, remember, if you're going to do rewards for the new hope, remember to give the Wookiee a medal as well. Yes. So. <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> the one that always got me was the glaive in Kroll. <laughs> you have this cool magic weapon the entire time and you get to use it once and it's actually pointless. It's not at all the thing that you actually needed. Which <laughs> sucked because as a kid, that was the coolest thing so cool. when they showed the when they showed the movie. Yeah. I mean, it is cool that true love was like what actually defeated the monster. Which yeah, is cool. I mean, the, but yeah, I was also extremely disappointed that Glaive did jack shit. Uh-huh. But it wasn't true love that they showed Streaming across the like fire, the logo, the fire of love. Oh, that was the glaive. The glaive, the glaive streaming across. Right. The, the, like, yeah. the logo is like you know, crawl, and then the glaive runs across. The glaive was a metaphor for true love. <laughs> I don't think it was. I think it was the thing that he thought he needed, or that he wanted to be able to use to to win the day. But what he really needed was true oh, love. So it was his want versus his need. I guess I <laughs> want the magical, cool, spinny blade thing. What I need is to be whole and in love to defeat the monster. You know who the true hero of that movie is? The princess. She does not succumb to temptation at one point. She stays the course and she ends up being the one that provides the, the weapon that actually kills the shit out of the bad there guy. You go. Right. All right. Let's, let's move on. Plus so Bob I, likes her, so. 
you know. She's, pr- she's very that age, pretty. She's very attractive. She's very she attractive. from the Toyota commercials. I mean, hey. I got a list of Bob's favorites. Man, okay. Uh, <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so after the final encounter, you can also give other rewards, too. You titles, riches, lands, spaceships. I mean, you just want to fly off into space. Position and more can be included in the denouement, and discussing them can be a nice way to wind down in the end. So uh, somebody's got an example. What's this Mage Lands campaign thing that uh, we want to talk about? Uh, that basically at the end of it, we wrapped the campaign up with a bunch of players who, as part of the whole campaign, which again, I'll go into it the next thing, one of them wanted to become a prince. And so we ended up with him eventually becoming the prince of one of the nations that they were dealing with, built up to it, defeated the ex- the ruler who happened to be his father, who also happened to be a dragon. And it was D&D. It goes that way. <laughs> um, each of the players had a reward that they were looking for long ways off two of the characters wanted to get married one character wanted to settle down with another npc one wanted to become a paladin and walk the earth like kane from kung fu it was all sorts of stuff that's fun so we took the time to have the denouement after the campaign ended where we had two whole sessions that we just role played all the stuff that happens after they defeated the big bad it was kind of fun so i think the next thing that we should talk about is when you're done like it's all done like you have you've had the denouement you've talked about all the things the stories are being done until we've closed the book we're sitting there basking in the glory of everything that's happened and it's time to party well yeah don't like you know you don't want your game to end and be like okay everybody go home i know right <laughs> let's 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 celebrate celebrate good times Yo, come no. on yeah thank you Dedicate a portion of your session uh, as the game concludes to some kind of celebration, right? Like, don't send everybody home, like Phil said. You yep, could crack open. Yup, no. That's right. Yup, no. You could crack open a few beverages while chatting about the game. You could get more elaborate, like pull out the cake. Mm-hmm. I would love to have a celebratory cake. Celebratory cake. I love cake. Uh, you could even prepare handouts for the players or like have some art drawn up. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. There's a actual drawing of uh, the party that I game mastered for the fourth edition game that I ran for the college crew that Jem played in. It was like, a, a, like an actual portrait of all yeah. of those characters. Absolutely. Very cool. Uh, tell me about your Iron Heroes campaign here. Yeah, when I finished uh, Iron Heroes, uh, we wound up doing a bunch of things to celebrate. I, one, I think there was a cake. I think I there remember, was. If I remember correctly. And there may have been a cake after year one or year two. There was cake a couple times, but we did a cake. Uh, I also did these, and this was inspired by Martin Ralia's from an article he did on treasure tables, I think before wow. gnomes too. I did these plaques getting the way back machine, the way back machine. I did these plaques with all the titles of all of the adventures that the characters had played. And I think I did one for each character and just had that like a f- in a frame. And I also did, you remember the plastic coins? Uh-huh. I did these laser etched plastic coins that had the dates for the campaign and uh, since it was Iron Heroes, it had the weapon for each of the characters. Oh, that's that's on, fun on the coin as like mm-hmm. kind of a tribute uh, kind of thing. And we did. We had a uh, um, we had a little time post game to sit back and celebrate like all the things and kind of talk about you know things we remembered about the campaign and like memorable fights, memorable moments, those kinds of things. All right, cool, Jerry. What's the next point that you'd like to bring up? That's a lot of things that you keep track of as you head down your campaign. So we're going to talk a little about planning all this out because how much of this you have to manage is a function of how long the campaign is and how many players you have. Because a short campaign consisting of six stories is going to have a lot less loose ends and subplots than a multi-year campaign with several arcs and lots of players. By, by six stories, you mean six sessions or like six stories? Story being a very specific term in our lexicon. Yeah, that's, yeah. Why, I'm, that's yeah. why I'm asking. But yeah. still, it's only six stories. Six Never sessions that. would be even shorter, right? Yeah. yeah. My idea of most of the campaigns that I've run to completion have run for 
three to ten years. So mm -hmm. that's that's a long time. <clears throat> those are longer. Long those are campaigns. One of them running three and a half to four years playing at least once a week. That's a lot of sessions. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of sessions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like 200 sessions, so around at least 150 even if you miss a bunch. Mm -hmm. You will collect a lot of stuff during yes. that point. Even yeah. if you're closing stuff, you're still collecting a lot of like stuff. The longest uh. one I ever ran was like 50. That's it. Not only was that three and a half years of playing almost every week, we missed about four games a year. So we did about... That's a lot of sessions. Uh, on top of that, um, we started with more than 10 players and ended with eight. So there were also, everybody had at least two subplots going on and there were eight characters in it. So it was a long, complicated That's campaign. Work. That's some work. So in the third year, and it was three, which five. is the beginning of the end of the campaign. Oh, and it was three, five. You're yeah. making me, you're making, you're hurting me. <clears throat> Actually, it was, it was. So what do you have, like it, two combats uh, at the end? It was, it was, <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it was, it was three, it was three oh for the first year. And then everybody died just about the time that three, five came out because Jerry forgot how dangerous beholders were and the players didn't know how to fight them. And then we, so we started the character next group out of three, five and built them back up from level one again. So and then if there's, uh, if there's 10 of them, you just stand all around the beholder because it can only anti magic one person and make sure that there's a caster on both sides. And, did, it, um, did, did you play out all, all the way out to 20? 18. They oh. got the, uh, no, they might've gotten the 20. They got high enough that the three Oh three, five dragonborn sorcerer became a full dragon. So whatever, However many levels you need, so that's at least like 15 or 16. All of them, I think. And you have to remember that the characters died after. So the players were about level 10 when they died. And we started over again at level one and built them back up again from there. Same campaign, huh? Same campaign. Same uh, campaign. My hat's off to you guys. That's the campaign. I'll, I'll go to more detail later. I'll, I'll get back. I'll just say it was a lot of fun, but there were a lot of hats to juggle. And the only thing that really made it work well was that we had three players who were super good at organizing the party and one person who was basically a walking rule book. And so when player A was taking their action, player B was being told gear up. So when your turn comes up and then the rule book was sitting there next to them saying, okay, here's all the things you need to know. So that when it came to their turn, they just did their dice roll and, and did the role playing. And that was it. Let me ask you a question about, yes. about this whole thing. Like yeah. this is, this is like, I feel like this is the alpha example of how, of talking about planning this all mm -hmm. out. How do you keep track of everything so that you can plan out your ending 150 sessions after you started? Or three combats. <laughs> Yahoo Group. So Yahoo Group is how you just kept track of all the information? Every week I entered a bunch of stuff into Yahoo Group. I made all the players keep track of their characters on there. And I made the players do a lot of the work. There you go. That's, that's yeah. a good way to that organize it. I also was living with one of the players. And three of the other players were hanging out with me three days a week at the hobby shop. So we would sit around. And they would be constantly giving me updates on what they wanted to do. We talked in the Yahoo group about what people's ideas, dreams, modifications, some of the stuff that should have happened, that could have, could have happened in game that you can't do with eight players, they would just talk about. So they'd be things like, this character wants to have a romance with this NPC. The party would, would some of the players would talk about, some wouldn't, some would talk about it. I could not imagine living my role-playing game life that way, right? Like, it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed. It's just not the way that I've ever lived my life. Right. I was also only running like two or three games at the time, so I had more time to do this kind of stuff. So it was something where... Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. I was only running two or three games at the time. I'm running two or three games. I'm running three games right now, and I'm like dying. Yeah, but, you're, yeah, but, yeah, but you've got much more complicated role-playing games than I was running. Okay. I was running very simple. I had one game where the players basically showed up, killed monsters, took treasure, went home. And I had one where they were playing superheroes, so it was pretty much episodic. It wasn't super detailed. These were not players who got... They were interested in throwing cars and beating up bad guys. Okay. So I had two sessions where it was basically villain of the week. 
Okay. And so as a result, that guy, and it was the same group of players. Some of them was half and half. So it was easy enough to keep them all running on the same RPG session. So you talked about living in your game. So remember, there's a period of time in Bob's My History. Yeah, that you lived upstairs and downstairs. We were in a duplex together and playing role-playing games several times a week. There were people living like in and out of our places constantly. We were hanging out in each other's apartments constantly. Like our, our, our game life was like just a kind of continuous, like we played Tuesday nights, Saturdays. We literally would just take breaks from gaming to go do work, to do our jobs. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then you that know, was college for me. Yeah. <laughs> I am not and, the and, same brand of nerd yeah. that you guys are. And, and, and the other thing was that at that time, six out of my eight players, this was their only social out- outlet. They weren't sports fans. Half of them didn't have jobs. They were just like All right. high school kids and early college kids. The only social outlet they had was the R- RPG games I was running. So that's what we did. Yeah, so I uh, I totally got uh, got us way off track because I need okay. I need it's to right. hear this stuff because this is not me like this is not my life. Yeah, no, I not, never has been even when I was a teenager. We we're talking about planning it out. Sorry, so like you have to manage all that stuff. You have to like get everything like organized. You mm-hmm. you you, you said how people talked like you just talked like with these people at the game shop and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. I guess we can do that these days with social media, right? And then we have like Slack groups and things like that. Yeah, I mean, Discord. I think Discord's it's Slack. It's hard to communicate with each other. It also depends on where you are in your life. I mean, this was almost 20 years ago, so. Well, yeah, I'm talking about for the modern day, yeah. right? Like we still need to be able to talk to each other about what people want. Like I do it with Phil all the time when I would tell him like, oh, this mm-hmm. is what Tam wants. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, all right, that's a good way to help plan plan your stuff out. But I, I do think like the most intricate, I don't say intricate, but like the most communication I had in campaigns were early on in my career where a large part of my job was like sitting at a desk, writing a bit of code, compiling it to run, and then firing off like a bunch of posts to a Yahoo group or something, looking at the results, changing two lines of code, running it again. Like there was a time in my life where my job afforded me so much time that I could like live in a chat room or sending emails. Mm -hmm. And then my job was not that. Mm -hmm. Now my job is like, I can't talk to you about this role playing stuff during the day. This week alone, I have 18 meetings like, in the, you know, in the course of five days, I don't have that anymore. And so how I communicate and plan and run my games is very different from my 20s. My 20s was very much I could just the amount of time I could set into it mm-hmm. without even disrupting stuff. We still went to lacrosse games and yeah. watched football all day on like watched all the football all day on Sunday. Like we still did all of that. Yep. I don't like my life doesn't work like that anymore. Like it's not the same for me. Like, especially when I'm like trying to organize my information, it's the document that I keep. I, you guys have seen all of my, yeah. my, my recap documents and my, my, oh. my campaign tracker document. I mean, mine's the one note. Um, yeah. Like I have a one note vault of the, the only thing that's different between you and me is mine's accessible to all the players. Yes. Mine, the vault is not accessible. Yeah. <clears throat> and largely because the vault is also full of things like the what's going on documents, the, campaign background documents that's just like, in a yeah. different folder in google docs yeah jerry when do you start thinking about the end of the campaign there's a couple of different ways you can do that you start by looking at either when you as the gm are getting to the point where you need to start to wrap things up do you want to do something new sometimes at the end of the campaign because the new shinies out there sometimes you get the end of the campaign because the players are starting to show evidence that they're ready and sometimes you just do it because you're getting close to the story that you wrote you know You've gotten the players where they want to be, where you wanted them to be. The players are getting to where they want to be. 
you know, you had an idea in mind of the things that needed to be done before you got there. As you plan to get to the end of the campaign, you have to start looking at the way you want to plan it out. And we've got a couple of phases that you may want to look at to resolve certain things. So the first thing you want to do is you got to look at the area leading up to the climax. This is the time where the players and the characters know that the climax is on the horizon, but they have time left to take care of a few things before they head off. I mean, so, yes. Yes. Like exactly. there's a moment where you just, you know, the climax, you know the is, climax is coming. Yeah. So you got to prepare for it. Yes. And you don't want to hold it off for too long. Yeah. Now the characters. Unless you're told to stop. Yeah. The characters <laughs> may or may not be together at this point and they likely have time to do some things on their own still. Yeah. You haven't converged all your storylines or yep. anything like you're playing through some stories and they can still bounce around and like go on little side quests feel, and things like that. I feel like we should switch. Oh. I feel like you should do the next part. You want me to talk about the yeah, climax? Yeah, go ahead. All right. I, I, do, I, I do have to I just say, as, as Bob said, sometimes we lean into the climax and you're off on your own. You have to do things by yourself before you can get to the climax. I mean, so. sometimes, you know, the climax. When the GM allows it to happen, the climax is the set piece <laughs> encounter that uh, brings. The, what? I'm sorry. Is that not how your games run? I'll let you when, know when the when climax. When the GM allows it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry to get back on track. Often your climax is going to be some sort of set piece encounter. It's usually going to be like the big fight. We've talked about a bunch of, I mean, we've talked about this in many, many past episodes um, where Chris has done, you know, like 3D, like, you know, the big 3D structure. I've done them with, you know, paper minis, all that stuff. But usually you go big for that uh, encounter. I mean, you guys are, <laughs> I'm trying so hard to stay on track here. I mean, I mean, Am I, I the only one who can keep a straight face during this shit? I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say, from what I understand about Phil, I think that a lot of the times his climax involves some sort of set piece encounter, maybe some props, that sort of thing. We're just going to go with it. Anyway. Yeah, no, ahead. that's true. Awesome. There's some, some amount of vigorous action going on. <sighs> yes. And some rising action. <laughs> and eyes, yes. I felt like the rising action was in the leading up to the climax. That's true, too. That's just me. Anyways. I mean, there's a lot of rising action. Anyway, so this thing's a conflict, right? So it's a battle. It's a heist. It's something, right? It's going to be some sort of challenge to complete kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, and not challenge for me, but anyway, um, <laughs> fine. See what you guys started. All right. <laughs> Lastly, often when you're doing this, the climax is when the group is together. It's rare that they're more than just like, you know, separated. Like it's like an orgy of role playing. Yeah, you know, I'm saying like, look, if you know, being seriousness, right. In Return of the Jedi is a case where the climax of the story happens in three different venues. True. Right. On Endor the battle with the emperor and um, the space battle. Mm-hmm. It's right? not over until everybody includes their individual climax for the story. That's in true in all cases. Um, but a lot of times it is like one big fight, like all together kind of thing. All right. You want to talk about the cuddling? Yeah. I want to, you want to pronounce the, it. The denouement. The denouement. The cuddling. The, the, denouement. the cuddling of literature. Then this is the, this is the time after the climax. Yes. Mm-hmm. The main conflict is done. Yes. Uh, all the vigorous activities are completed. Correct. And it's a uh, it's possible that some of the characters may not have survived. That is also true. Uh, this is also a time when the characters can do things together or separately. Yeah, and it may be the time when the characters go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the denouement, the yum dum part, and it may end like that, right? It could end with just you know a big party with a bunch of murder mm-hmm. bears. Uh huh. Um, could be the RPG walk of shame. Yeah, they could ride off to the sunset. They could do that. There's all kinds of things that can happen. I mean. You can do the thing where what happens like a week, a month, and a year after the story is over. Sure. Like that's pretty fun denouement. I mean, the ultimate denouement, of course, is the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Which which one? 
in the in the movies. Right? No, no, like, I mean, which no, which all one? of it. Right. Yeah. Like literally like the 17 endings. Yes. The 17 endings of like I, I was thinking more like the end of Animal House. Yes. You could also do the end of Animal House. Listen, let's be clear. That movie's not uh not doesn't hold up. Might no, not, it does not. <laughs> not not a not gonna I I can't put a stamp on it. No, like, no, no, no. But let's let's go back to like let's go back to Lord of the Rings, right? That's like the ultimate in denouements, because literally every character gets a full and complete denouement. Some more than one. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it goes and it goes. And some people some people are annoyed with that. I actually loved it. I thought right? it was great. Mm-hmm. Having invested so much time into the story and the, you know, the time <clears throat> it took for them to put the movies out. I was very interested in every character, like watching every character arc close off on what, you know, what happens to Sam, all of that stuff. And in fact, did win the Oscar for best picture. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a, it was a Marvel. It was a movie Marvel. It was at its time. Mm-hmm. It's also really well done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so the, the whole idea, um, the whole idea is what we're what we're saying here is as you're approaching the end of the campaign, going back to that question that Chris originally asked Jerry, like, when do you know the endings about like, when do you know the ending is near? That's the point when you need to start planning and you need to going back to all the things that we talked about before, the loose ends, the subplots, all of that. You need to start figuring out which bin you're going to put all of these in. Maybe this minor loose end isn't really worth carrying all the way through to the denouement. So you're going to get it wrapped before the climax, get it out of the way. Well, then it's denouement happens before the climax. Yes, it's denouement. But I mean, what I'm saying is it goes like this. You have some story time, some sessions before the big set piece encounter. You have some story sessions after. And you got to decide where do all the things that you have left fit. And you got to just plan them out and sprinkle them through and say, okay, these are going in before because they're not germane to the climax or whatever, what happens after. So I'm going to get them wrapped up and get them out of the way. This is like your Dungeness story. The last couple of rooms before the final. Yeah, you got to tie off some loose ends. Yeah, you got to tie. Right. That's right. So you tie them off there and then you're like, well, the climax is going to settle the main plot, obviously, but maybe I can get a few other things in there as well. Mm -hmm. And then everything else is going to get placed into the the denouement. It's funny. Our dungeon, the Dungeness story, any, any, any kind of story. It's just, this is, this stuff's all just fractaled. Like this is the end of hundred percent. Right. Like, I mean, we're just talking about storytelling. Campaign's just a really big story. Uh It's one that's like many, many sessions. um, And you're trying to hit that target. So, yeah. So you want to just think about where you want to place them into uh, this and then build your prep around that plan. That wraps up our overview of ending your campaign. We hope this will be some help when your next campaign is ready to be wrapped up. Bob, tell us about another show on the Mr. Mark Network. Hey, we're going to talk about bonus experience. Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. I'd also like to say, hey, please, if you don't mind, maybe you could uh, jump into our Patreon. That would be cool. Um, the Patreon, be the Patreon helps us, you know, keep the show going. Um, you know, buy gear if we need it, stuff like that. Every, like every an bit extension helps. cord for our headphones. <laughs> yeah, we need one of those. So, my one thing for this week is uh, it's hockey season already. It's they funny how that Flor- works. They gave Florida what for? They did, and then they, they beat Ottawa, even though they didn't play very well. Uh, you know, it, it was one of those games. Uh, there, we live in Buffalo. We're Sabres fans. Yes. And Ottawa is a solid team. Sure. And Buffalo's got a young uh, young squad. They got a lot of kids. I don't, know, I don't know nearly as much about hockey as I do about football. Yeah. It's Buffalo right now. The Buffalo Sabres have the youngest team in the NHL. Their average age is like 24.1 years. And that is the youngest out of the entire league. 
Um, it it's going to take some time for all of that to gel. Old man Skinner. Yeah. Uh, Skinner, uh, Poso, I think is one of the older guys, but of course, nobody older on the Buffalo Sabres than their starting goaltender, Anderson, who is 41, the oldest player in the NHL right now. Oof. So that just goes to show how many kids they got on their team. Yeah. It's all just like draft. So many kids that that like 41 gets years. pumped down in the average. Um, but there's a lot of talent there. Uh, yeah. If they all come together, they are going to be a dangerous, dangerous. They don't squad. even need everybody to come together. They just need like you know three fourths of them to play exactly. Well. Um, but yeah, it's it's hockey season, so you know I I got to sit and watch some games. There's a game tonight, um, which is probably starting in a couple of minutes. They're on a western road. They played two games at home to open the season, and they, they jumped out on the road for a four game west. West Coast trip, so yeah, they're playing McDavid tonight in Edmonton, playing right? Edmonton and Edmonton right now is a, apparently a train wreck. <laughs> um, plus Toronto, which you know everybody in Buffalo loves to laugh at the Toronto Maple Leafs because they're generally a train wreck lately. So, Jerry, best keep away from Pumpkinhead, lest you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and unforgiving. So this weekend, I decided to watch Pumpkinhead in preparation for a different discussion. This is one of my favorite movies from the 80s. It's in a, preparation for fl- coffee-flavored horror, goes in the first episode or the first two episodes. That's right. That's, that's the horror. other podcast that Jerry is a host on and I produce. Out now. Yes. Yep. Out now. Where we discuss Killer Clowns from Outer Space? I mean, that, that's the next episode. Ah. I mean, as of right now, it's not out. The first episode was Final Destination 1 and 2. Ah, okay. Because it was better. <laughs> what it was. Lead strong. <laughs> no mistake. Mm-hmm. Lead strong. But I uh, no, I decided to watch Pumpkinhead. Um, it is one of my favorite horror movies from the 80s it's a really well done movie with a good story i mean the main monster doesn't even start showing up until a third of the movie's gone um lance henriksen just plays an incredible character they it's got a lot of heart it's got a lot of emotion it tugs at your strings it's got good characters uh directed by stan winston who did a lot of the creatures for a lot of famous movies over the years it's just a lot of fun it's 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 one of my i don't want to call it a feel-good movie because it just kicks you in the feels over and over again as the movie goes on um, but it's just a lot of fun and it. You know, it's about a person who loses something important, decides to get revenge, and then getting that revenge causes him to basically turn into the monster that he uh, summoned in the first place. And eventually it all comes circle and he basically suffers everything and leads into the next. Apparently there are multiple movies that I've never seen, but the first one was. Oh, yeah, there's really more well than done. one. Really well done. You've seen Pumpkinhead? No, but I know that there's I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of Pumpkinhead, but I know there's sequels. It's it's actually a really good. It's It's not particularly scary though it's creepy it's not bloody in almost any way um it's really mood tone and kicking me in the feels movie so it's a lot of fun cool there, there is violence to children so just be aware uh yes there is there is not graphic but yes so chris actually phil tell me about tell me about yours tell me about soup yeah so uh this weekend i made french onion soup which doesn't sound terribly exciting no man um, french onion soup is delicious sure I mean, it is actually, and it's actually one of my favorite, um, it's actually one of my favorite comfort foods and it's a comfort food that up to this point, I've only ever ordered at restaurants, right? Like I I have a habit of like going to restaurants and if they offer French onion soup, I'll take it. Right. Mm -hmm. I just, I just love it. Like, I mean, I just love, you know, the flavor, the cheese, you know, the, all of that, the bread and the soup. Yeah. And, um, you know, over the past, you know, year now that I've been living on my own, I've been, you know, getting more and more um, adventurous with cooking and, you know, learning to cook and experimenting and stuff like that. And um, I broke out the joy of cooking and was like, I'm gonna make French onion soup. And I looked at the recipe and I'm like, this is not hard. Like, this is not a hard recipe. Not, not a complex thing. It's not a complex recipe. I was like, I am well within my skill set to execute this. 
Um, so I timed it because I didn't want to do it in the summer. I was like, I'm going to wait till the fall because I want it like to be nice, you know, um, soup, weather. soup weather. I picked a weekend when I was making um, fresh baguettes. So I made my own bread for the Look soup. at this guy. He's just, he's just, he's just a wizard. This freaking guy over here making his own fucking kitchen. bread. And then, I, kitchen. and then I wound up ordering on Amazon um, a set of Crocs so that like I could make it just right. Like, you know, like nice... These, you know, not the two-tone brown ones that you guys all remember, but I have these. Uh, they're black with red on the inside. Um, they got like a little handle. This is my surprise face. That's what I'm saying, You can't right? see it because it's radio. Black and red. Um, so anyway, I did it. And like, you know, it takes a while. Like, it takes like an hour to cook down those onions. Like, you basically fill a pot with onions. And for like an hour, you're just working them down until they get to that, like, that nice, like, rich brown color. And then the rest of it goes kind of quickly as you pour everything in and get it up to temperature. I got um, used my uh, Penzi's French thyme. Excellent, right? Really flavorful. Filled up the crocs, filled up the croc, put in my bread. The bread fit perfectly, like two perfect pieces. Topped it off with Gruyere, threw it in the oven, came out picture perfect. I haven't even, I forgot to put the pictures into Slack, but it was, um, it was textbook, like nailed the, like nailed the landing on it. Nice. And then I, um, I made a Gruyere and ham uh, sandwich with like another chunk of bread that I had to put on the side of it. And it was, it was perfect. Like it was, I like now possess the ability to make my own favorite comfort food. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Nice. So now that we've infringed on Ken and Robin talk about stuff, do you think like we might get nearly as many listeners as them? Probably not. I mean, but... I feel I'm late to the game, right? Like is Ken like <laughs> way ahead of me on this, sure, but yeah. like, but like I'm, I'm, I'm coming for you, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> New Orleans is on his way. Like, oh, that's good. Look out, mm-hmm. look out. People don't know that reference, but there's an inside joke with Ken and I that I made yep. solid New Orleans. You are solid New Orleans. Orleans. Anyway, so, good. What's your spell jammer, man? We played I some, was in that. We played some spell jammer. It was yeah. fun. I was my first 5e game. Yeah, there was a 5e combat. You didn't use any of your combat maneuvers. I was a little, I a little was, sad. I was going to set up the, I was going to um, work in conjunction with the captain. Yeah. Huh? But then um, one, uh, that one spell wiped out like three, like, like two guys. Lance's warlock just yeah. d- dropped a shatter in the middle of uh, I wasn't sad about people. that because those guys were all on me. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sad that he got rid of them. And I was going to help the captain because I was going to use the trip attack mm-hmm. to give the captain advantage to finish somebody off. Sure. But then one, like the deck cleared quickly and the last guy surrendered. So yeah. I was like, oh, I can't use my maneuver yet. Yeah, I was, was, I was almost there. You were. It was, it was fun. Like I, I, I had some straight up D&D dice rolls, man. I had like a 16 and then like a four, four, six, <laughs> like. Sure, sure felt like I was playing D&D again. Cold open on a pirate ship. Boarding, yeah, we did. Boarding action. Like, first thing, boarding the ship. Boarding the, I, I really appreciated the media in media res. was nice. Yeah. Just start start right into some combat. Get some, get, with with a goal, get get the cargo. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just like, just like fight. As and then it. the chase. There was a chase. I liked the chase. And, and actually, uh, I didn't tell you guys, and I probably should have. I think I may, may have mentioned it, because I, I foreshadowed it. Like, there were ships coming. Yeah, yeah. But the faster you 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 worked your way through that that fight sequence the the more of an advantage you had in the chase sequence oh i actually didn't know yeah that. so like it oh because i know you kept asking like are you guys gonna check this are you guys and we're like no we, we gotta get out of here yeah yeah so if it was if it went any longer than three rounds those ships would have been closer five rounds would have been closer seven rounds would have been closer and, and that then, makes sense and, and you did and you did foreshadow you kept telling us like yeah they're coming they're coming they're coming yeah and then there was a chase sequence which uh you guys will recognize the mechanics because i used the mass combat rules that we used for uh, the Archmage's Legacy game for the for the ship chases, they're shooting at each other. Like there were three ships chasing one ship, which was pretty quick. The, the Moon Dancer is a fast ship because it's 
you know, no, no secret here. It's, it's, it's going to take, it's, it's going to take, take off, off at, at some, some point. point. It's yeah. a spell jammer. <laughs> but like it, right now it's pretending to be a pirate ship as part of this, this resistance because we're playing spell jammer, but I didn't use the adventure as written. I started them two levels earlier. We had a discussion about, it. I think we talked about this on the show mm-hmm. maybe previously. Yep. And, um, that's the, the first thing is they're dealing with the fact that, um, the, the, the king is a bad person. So they're part of the resistance. They stole some cargo. They found out the cargo is a bunch of purple glowing seeds. That's foreshadowing stuff. And, I have no uh, idea what those were yet. Yeah. My character's not the kind of guy who's going to know what those are anyway. Yeah. What did you think about that chase sequence? How did you oh, feel about it? I thought the chase it? sequence was good. I thought that was, it was nice. Like, it was nice to have a, a mechanism where everybody could participate and had some sort of outcome on how the chase was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause otherwise like none of us were the captain of the boat. No. Like otherwise it would have just been this narrative thing. So uh, we all got to kind of kick in there and, you know, everybody used what they were good at. Like I looked at my guy and I'm like, well, it's going to be athletics. So I'm working, I'm working the ropes yep. like for the sails. Like, you know, I'm heaving, I'm hoeing kind of thing. And those um, would be the sheets in, uh, in uh, sh- sailing parlance. Yeah. The sheets, the sheets. I was so, yes, Which I was, you would think would be the sails, but no, the sheets are the ropes. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was working, I was working, I was working those and, you know, like everybody, like everybody was able to kind of pick out things that they were good at. And so Drew's characters in the crow's nest helping like keep an eye on like the currents and things yep. like that. Lance his, with his warlock was firing his long range Eldritch Blast at the ship to try to slow it down. Yep. It was good. Yeah, it was definitely solid. And, uh, you know, and, and we and we wound up winning it. Yeah, uh-huh. not not by a ton. Like it was enough. Actually, more than you think you you were. There was the one bad role that was interesting because you had the distinct advantage. And then the role turned out to be. Yes. Dicey. Uh, they closed in at one point and then we kind of kept mm-hmm. it ahead. And then they tried to, then they, then they did some desperate things, which that there's a reason they did desperate things because that cargo that is cargo. important. Yes. Um, and then you, you saw the cargo, you like looked around it, then you went back to the port, which then we will pick up next time at the port. I mean, we only get to play for like two hours, two and a half hours. So yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to the next session of that. But cool. That is, that is my one thing. Bob, let's uh, move on to the Patreon shout outs. All right. We are back around to the Royal court again. So thank you so much to Andrew Dacey. The Warden of Whiskies, Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice, Bread, the Royal Mead Maker, Craig, the Lord of One Name, Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress, Eric Bontz, the Duke of Gators, and the Lord of Beefness, our very own GM Gerrymander, the Lord of the After Show. I know him. Jesse Edmund, the Royal Doctor, Jim Loves Games, the Royal Merchant Emeritus, Evil John Carney, the Court Necromancer, Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard, Richard Wyatt, the Captain of the Royal Airship Fleet. Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth, Tiberius Starcrash Smith, the Baron of Britannia, Todd Crapper, the Prophet of Probability, and Richard Ruane, the Knight of Roseville Beach. So I used to do a thing when I was here um, before, you know, before I was not here for a while where I would mention all the new patrons. Mm -hmm. So we have three new patrons that I would like to mention. Uh, The Head Cleric of Crom. As a new patron, thank you so much. Tentacle Duck, what a great name. I like that. That's pretty hilarious. That's pretty good. And Pierre Borsdorf, thank you so much for being our new patrons. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. Yeah, welcome to the party. And party, pal. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can get more content like this at misdirectedmark.com, where we have over, and I'm not kidding, 1,300 podcast episodes on various shows. And if that isn't enough, our Patreon has hundreds of bonus episodes. Holy shit, that's a lot to listen to. It's a lot, a lot of content. content. Mm-hmm. It's over at patreon.com slash MMP. Yes, <clears throat> please go so, there. So <clears throat> these 13 episodes are going to include some other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, Pandas Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Bonus Experience, 
the all-new Thacko with Advantage, and back episodes of She's a Super Geek. If that still isn't enough for you, I suggest checking out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the all-new GM Mastermind. I don't know. Is it all new anymore? It's like, no, I mean, I, I think it's, it's like still new. relatively it's like, new. It's still relatively new. I mean, new. it's new to like new compared to us. I mean, yeah. Is, is the new, is the new car, the new podcast yeah, almost, smell wearing We can drop yet? new, I think, soon from the thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just throwing um, it out there. Before you reach climax, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly using the weird old archaic emails, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on Twitter. The show and the network is at misdirectedmark. He's Robert M. Everson. GM Gerrymander, The Light 101. Oh, it's too late. I've gone past. And me, DNA Phil. Hey, y'all. Remember that Patreon we mentioned earlier with the hundreds of bonus episodes? If you want to support us and other shows from Mr. Actor Mark Productions, you can do that at patreon.com slash MMP. Jerry brought it up earlier. Your patronage will get you access to the After Show podcast, our show notes, the Bamboo Lounge podcast, and occasionally other special releases when we have them. Yes. Well, this has been a misdirected Mark production, which is the media arm of Encoded Designs, which hopefully we'll start making stuff very, very soon. A thing called mood lighting, potentially. Mic drop. We out!